0: Welcome to Midnight Book Club. I'm John Mark.
1: And I'm Alexa.
0: Pour yourself a stiff drink, pull up a chair, and get lost in the fantasy for a while. Tonight we're going to introduce the the beginning of our our multi-part Witcher series, uh, in which we're going to be going deep and long into a read of all of the Witcher books.
1: Yeah, so we are covering all of The Witcher books, except probably uh, the one that's not essential to the chronology. Which one's that? I think that one is Season of Storms. Okay. As you can see, this is thoroughly researched. (laughs) Um, We
0: do nothing but the most extensive research in all of the deepest peer-reviewed publications.
1: Yeah, we're, we're scientists, first and foremost. Uh, let's introduce Midnight Book Club, though. This is a new idea that uh, we came up with just because I wanted to do a podcast about The Witcher, and I've always really liked books, and John Mark likes books, too. And this, I, seemed... I have a
0: tendency to like the idea of books more than... <laughs> the concept of books. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, we end up buying a lot of books. I am always someone who becomes all consumed by a universe. I love the X Files, for example. It's not a book series, but it's something that I became all encompassed in. And recently I started reading The Witcher after watching the T V series and playing the game, Witcher Three, because the other two don't really matter. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna read the books now because I, I've already like gone pretty much all in. I should just go completely all the way in.
0: In for a pint, in for a pound, you know. Right,
1: yeah. I gotta right. I gotta do it all now. Yeah. Um, and I have roped my husband into doing it with me. Hi, that's me. Yeah. And I, I mostly am just like constantly talking about it. So I'm like, we might as well just, might as well just put it. a
0: mic in front of us. While <laughs> we're doing it,
1: so. I would say that I am the person that's more obsessed with it and I will probably be more of the lore person and John Mark is mostly along for the ride.
0: I think I'm kind of the straight man in this situation. <laughs>
1: But um, together, we hope to be a balanced duo. Fair and balanced? No, no, we're not Fox News. (laughs) We're always going to be drunk when recording this because along with the Midnight Book Club... our Drunk might be a strong word. Along with Midnight Book Club, our theme is drinks. We're going to be pairing each chapter that we cover with a drink. And tonight, that is a lovely... Bordeaux. Oh,
0: it's a. This is a vintage 2018 Chateau Bois Redon uh, from Bordeaux, France. Uh, actually, from Le Sac. I think that's that's Le the sac. city. Lusac. Is that is that the city? Yeah. yeah Beautiful okay. French pronunciation. Oh, thank you. Despite the fact that I speak no French.
1: <laughs> I was kind of being sarcastic, but it's it's probably fine. Pour some. For so me,
0: I will you, get, you, get you get you a good pour here. Get some ASMR.
1: Don't be weird.
0: This is weird either way.
1: Well, what are we? What are we sniffing? What are we smelling?
0: Ah, right. Okay, so we've we've recently. Well, we've we've been into to tasting wines for a while, but we're we're also going to kind of try and pair it together with our with our our podcast here, and that and we'll. Give some tasting notes on what we're drinking. We there may be nights where we'll we'll drink a a nice Bordeaux, but there may also be other nights where it may be franzia out of a bag. So we'll give you tasting notes on that, and maybe some maybe a, four, a good four loco. Just not the to,
1: blue wine.
0: What you don't want to you don't you don't want to drink Boone's Farm?
1: Isn't that Arbor Mist?
0: Well, I mean Arbor Mist and Boone's Farm both have they both they both have blue wines, but they're they're blue raspberry. Okay. I mean it's you know it's natural. It's All a natural right. color for wine.
1: So, so what <laughs> are your tasting notes?
0: Okay, so for this this one, uh, I'll take a dip, deep sniff. Mm, a lot of pepper. Oh, so one of the things I should have noted about this wine is that is a a, a Bordeaux. I have I have recently learned um, is that a Bordeaux is a specific type of wine that mixes three or four specific varieties of grape wine together. Um, I can't remember the exact varieties off the top of my head. I believe it's Shiraz, Cab Franc, Cab Sauve, and Merlot.
1: This particular one is 75 percent Merlot and 25 percent Cab Sauve.
0: That was exactly where I was going <laughs> is what <laughs> yeah. I was trying to say. <laughs>
1: so this is a very classic wine. I would say I don't have quite as refined of a palette but, um, I wouldn't say that at all. It's very floral. It's very peppery, leathery, really um, like fruity finish.
0: I think I think the Merlot kind of gives a good floral to it. Mm-hmm. But so French wine is something that we're we're recently that that's a new area that we're we're delving into. Uh, we're definitely more of a American New World grape.
1: I mean, napa i would say that we drink a lot of like cabernet so.
0: yeah yeah, that, yeah that's kind of been our big thing lately so
1: we've got this wonderful wine to pair with the very first short story of the witcher universe we, we didn't
0: taste the wine yet okay we sniffed the wine we sniffed the okay. wine we got lots of pepper yes good floral notes a little bit of leather very mineral with a smooth body very smooth body i
1: think it's it's kind of nicely balanced mm-hmm. it's fruity it's you've definitely got the pepper in there you have definitely got the leather but i think it really mellows to like a nice mm-hmm. nice mouthfeel. yeah
0: it doesn't the mouthfeel doesn't doesn't kick you kick you in the teeth too much um i've noticed that uh i noticed that the 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 aromatics are actually really really strong on it yeah um
1: it's really yeah I, I really like French wines because they're they're a lot different than Napa. It's not really like smacking you in the face with tannins or anything. Mm-hmm. Um I really enjoy it. We'll definitely be drinking more French so, wines.
0: since this is not a wine podcast. <laughs> despite the fact that we maybe we should just spin off a wine podcast, yeah, well, but I don't think we know it this enough. This is the first episode <laughs> we have
1: already gotten so we're off about track. 15 minutes in and anyway, haven't talked about We're, the we're talking at all. a lot about wine, but let, let's get down to it. So we're pairing this nice French classic wine with the first ever short story chronologically. Look, we're going to be going by chronology in the Witcher universe because I know Andrzej Sapowski.
0: Is, is that how you pronounce it?
1: I'm not Polish. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm not
0: being a jerk. I, I genuinely don't know.
1: His name is Andrzej.
0: Andrzej. I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna pronounce it in my American yeah, way. It's all right. So, I'm, I'm with you there. The Witcher series by Andrzej Sapowski. I'm not gonna focus on what order they were written. I'm gonna focus on the chronology and how they're supposed to be read. So basically, that's the two short story volumes, which the first one is the Last Witch, which is what we are. I keep saying the Last Witch. It's the Last Wish. Guys, I, I swear that I am <laughs> sane. I'm just a little drunk. Um, so we're going to The Last Wish today, which is a great one because it, it's all the like essentials of The Witcher universe. It's what a lot of season one of The Witcher was based on for good reason. They're very episodic. You learn a lot about the characters. You learn a lot about Geralt. You learn a lot about Yennefer.
0: So one of the things that we did learn about Andre, uh, our buddy Andre... I believe and I, I could be wrong in this, but wasn't didn't he write a lot of these stories as like bedtime tales for his son? I, I seem to remember that being one of the at things that I read. least the
1: first version of the story was written for his son or like to enter in a short story contest or something mm-hmm. like that. So Oh yes, yeah. he
0: he entered the so he wrote the first one as an entry into a Polish fantasy magazine um and he wrote it for his son as a bedtime as a bedtime story yeah and it won like third place if i remember right it wasn't first place but
1: yeah so it's interesting because whenever someone is like a career person and embarks on like a completely different career field which is being a fantasy author and a wildly successful one um, who would have guessed The Witcher would be the next fantasy series that we all fantasize about? I don't know. I,
0: I had, there There are 15 other series that I would have anticipated getting more successful before. Yeah, before so the, let's not, talk about... Not to about, say that The Witcher's bad, but like... <laughs>
1: we're getting into ta- tangents it's, it's and that... It's very
0: high fantasy. Anyways, We're getting yes.
1: into tangents. We're going to do a lot of this, but that's okay. So, so let's talk about how we personally came... To be interested in The Witcher, because I actually remember making fun of it back in December. Mm-hmm. I was like, "This is gonna be so stupid." You remember the guy that played Superman? Yeah, yeah he's Henry gonna play Cavill this like white-haired yeah. video game character. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: like, he's gonna be terrible. I'm he was like, terrible as Superman.
1: And we were like laughing at it. And then, like one night in January, I was just like, "You know what?
0: No, let's put it on.
1: Let's put it on." <laughs> and we loved it. We absolutely loved it. And that got us to where we are now, which is probably influenced a lot by quarantine, where we've just been obsessing over the same media. And luckily the game was really good. The show was really good. And that got us interested in the lore. And so now we are back to... What probably should have been our first introduction to it, which is the books, but we're working backwards. Well,
0: but to be fair, like starting a book series is a pretty big ask if you don't think that you're interested in the IP to begin with.
1: It's a long commitment. Yeah. So it's, like it's eight books.
0: I've I've been meaning to read Dune, but yeah. it's a big commitment. Like, am I more likely to just watch the Dune movie with Kyle MacLachlan? Probably. I'm probably going to do that at some point because it's a lower commitment, you know? it's only a couple hours if I don't end up liking it, well, I probably won't read the books then. Yeah, that maybe, seems like maybe a hell of kinda, a commitment. Maybe that's kind of a backwards way of looking at it. But anyways, so... Okay.
1: Today we're going to be covering the very first short story in the book called, appropriately, The Witcher.
0: Shocker. <laughs> the Witcher. Chapter yes. one, The Witcher.
1: I think it's probably the most logical place we could begin now, the chronology is all messed up.
0: Yeah, This, this all it,
1: happens in, in different times and eras, and we're learning a lot about like the characters, and it makes sense how I put it together, but the timeline is always a little bit wonky, which is kind of funny because fans were always like, I don't understand this TV show. like It's all over the place, but that's how the books are too. The,
0: the books very much are like that. And so I think two of the things... So I was starting to talk about him writing these for his son... Um, the two things that I think that are really because of that are the fact that he draws a lot from early like pulp fiction, dime store style fantasy novels, um, which are very episodic, very much like you don't need to know the background of the rest of the story mm-hmm. to, you know, you don't need to know the overarching plot of what's going on in order to enjoy one or two of the, the little 50 cent paperbacks that you grab at the at the, the pharmacy kind of thing. Um, It's that, and if he was writing these as bedtime stories for his son, those really work well as being very episodic. So, as a result, episodic adventures that don't fall in any sort of particularly chronological order from a a plot standpoint.
1: I think the short stories are a good way to be introduced to this universe because he is a master at teaching you about these characters without knocking you over the head with it. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't even mention Geralt's name until, like... 10 pages into the first short story oh yeah they don't huh. um you learn a lot about the characters and, and that's what i love about this writing is that it's very show not tell which is what you're always told as a mm-hmm. writer yep. um i think his writing is phenomenal yeah and i really struggle with that as a fantasy fan it's really hard to find writing that's good and isn't super cheesy and i think his writing is like it's humorous it's fun it's like there's a lot of lore and a lot of meat to this universe, which is why I really was like sucked into it. And I've, you know, I've already read into like book two of like the lore of the witcher universe, but we're going to go back to the very beginning. Let's dive in. Let's talk about the witcher. Let's talk about the short story. We're going to give a summary Mm -hmm. really briefly. So in this first short story, Geralt is introduced to the audience, and we learn a lot of things about him. We learn he's sort of a wandering mercenary guy, mm-hmm. hunts monsters, um, is not super well-liked by people.
0: So, yeah, and so there's a combination of two things at play here that, like, first off, Geralt himself has a reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, so there's three, three things that seem to be in, in, in play here. We find out that he's from, he's of Rivia um, right. Riven, Riven, Rivia. Yeah. He is a Rivian, um, which for notes that aren't really given in the book, um, he, uh, that seems to be a thing that people don't like about him. Um, so I don't know what the reputation that Rivia has, but so the other two things that are at work here are the fact that, um, his career of being a witcher I don't know do you want to call that a career or just like it's not really something somebody chooses but um yeah
1: it's a career yeah you make a career out of it
0: afterwards I guess after it's been thrust upon you um is kind of like the magical equivalent of an exterminator um
1: you mean like Terminator? Yeah, no, no, like no,
0: like Terminex, like, yeah. or Orkin, like, <laughs> the yeah, Orkin I, Man. Yeah, I get what you mean. They are, they are the magical equivalent of the Orkin Man. Like, obviously they have more, repu- you know, a better reputation than that, but, like, when you have vampires in your attic, these are the guys that you call to crawl through your attic Hopefully or your sewage system. Hopefully you don't, don't have
1: vampires in your attic. It, but it, <laughs> inc- you've got
0: drowners in your sewer, so call, call a witcher, and they'll come fumigate it. <laughs> kind of thing like i i think i think they have a little bit more respect in this world but like i mean it, it, so like if you saw like a an exterminator hanging out at your local bar and he's in full like terminex gear like his full jumpsuit and like he's got the he's got the tanks on his back you're probably not going to get too close to him because he's probably covered in some kind of like pesticide or something so are you going to get too close to a witcher because he's probably coated in some sort of weird magical potion that's probably going to give you some form of cancer because you can't handle it?
1: You're, you're going all in with this exterminator analogy, but I actually think that's very apt and I didn't think about that yeah. <laughs> because he is doing the things no one else wants to do.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So he has that reputation of like doing the, he's, he's the, the sanitation worker of like, he's doing the job nobody else wants to. So he's kind of already got like, two strikes against him from a societal reputation standpoint.
1: Yeah. Um, what the ruffians take issue with is mostly that he's like supposed to be from Rivia, and that's a bad thing. But you, you also can tell that they don't really want him in this bar because he's got a sore on his back. He is clearly a force to be contended with.
0: Uh, so the last thing that I that I didn't that I I was going to bring up was that um, Geralt himself does have a reputation individually as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, he's known as the butcher of Blaviken, which I, I don't remember the lore on exactly the, why he's that out, is
1: also I'm, I'm sure that will that be is covered somewhere. in the last wish, and okay, we okay. will get we will get yeah. to that. Okay. Again, he he goes into this bar in um, Wazim, which is in Temeria, and he gets into a fight. Oh. And is taken to the Castellan, who is you know the the local leader, sheriff, mayor,
0: the sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, he's the the regional he's noble. The law. <laughs> <laughs> I am the law.
1: Um. Yeah. So he he's taken to the Castellan, and Geralt is like, "Hey, I saw that Foltis, the king of Temeria, is looking for someone to fix the Striga problem. Uh, so what do you know that, about that?" And uh, The Castellan is like, don't do it. It's really bad. A lot of people have died.
0: Please don't. (laughs) Don't do it. You got 10 kids. (laughs)
1: Uh, However, you know, there is sort of a side deal that some uh, local people are doing where they want you to kill this Riga because it's just like every full moon is going out into the village and roaming and killing people and we're just sick of like Fultis doing nothing about it. So that would be like maybe like one thousand orins somewhere around that, and Garrels is like, "But I could get three thousand by not killing it." And he's like, "Yeah, but it can't be done. People have tried, they've died, and it's just not working." So you could make some money and live by killing the Striga.
0: So at this point in the story, we're kind of we are dropped into the deep end a little bit. um, In that, like, we don't necessarily know who fault this is. We don't necessarily know who. Well, we, I don't think we really need to know who the local noble guy is. They give him a name, but I don't...
1: No, he's not that important. I mean, the, the Castellan is not that important. He's just a Perso- local leader.
0: Personally, I had to look up what that word meant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm a little slow like that, so...
1: Yeah, we won't talk about that. Geralt <laughs> is like, take me to Foltus and I'll talk with him about it. And when he gets to Fultis, he does this whole thing about like, look, yeah, lots of people have tried and you should, you know, if you even touch a hair on her head, I am going to behead you. I'm going to like not give you your money. And by the way, that whole thing about being able to marry my daughter, if you vanquish it is not true Um, because, okay, that's actually an important fact that I missed. The Castellan told Geralt that the reason that no one's been able to do this is because Foltis is trying to get someone to break the curse of the Striga. He's not trying to get someone to kill the Striga because the Striga is his daughter because he hooked up with his sister. His sister. Yeah, it's a lot of incest, um, but we're used to that from Game of Thrones, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Foltis hooked up with his sister. He wanted to marry her, but luckily some people were like, "That's not a good idea, optics wise." Like, <laughs> I would not marry your sister. Bro,
0: that looks a little weird. But like... <laughs> she is
1: already pregnant, so don't know what we're gonna do now. And then when the baby is born, it looks well. Just they they wild. never
0: really like describe it. They just say like oh, like the the handmaid was like struck and blind, and like
1: one of the the other handmaids jumped out of the window.
0: Yeah. Midwife, that was the word I was looking for. I said handmaid. Anyways.
1: They describe just a monster, and then the kid dies, like, on the spot, and so does Ada. So it turns out that Foltus loses, like, everything, including his, like, sister bride and his daughter. Mm -hmm. So instead of putting, like, the child to rest in a way that would have prevented her from haunting the castle... He buries her in a sarcophagus on the grounds of the castle, meaning she is just able to roam around and use whoever's around as like a free buffet. Um, but nothing had happened for the first seven years, so people were sort of like, Phew, like nothing's gonna come of that. But then one day she rose up as a striga and now she's like terrorizing the local town.
0: So, um <clears throat> and that was that was something did did, did it seem like that the Foltus knew That he should have disposed of her properly and just didn't want to? Or was that something that he didn't have knowledge of and that Geralt was... Because it's kind of Geralt's response that he says, like, oh, you should have done these things. Like, you should have burned her body. You should have, like... I don't remember what the other options were. Like, seal her in concrete or something that's kind of what he does.
1: When, when Geralt learns all of this, he, he asked the Castellan to bring him to Foltis, and Foltis and him discuss the same things, basically. And Foltis says, like, look, if you touch a hair on her head, you're gonna be in deep trouble. And also, you can't marry my daughter. I know that's rumored mm. to be the, like, reward, but definitely not. Um, and then he... Geralt learns from the two like uh advisors to Foltis which is like a finely dressed noble guy and a, a bearded guy who isn't mentioned that much um he learns that um there were actually two survivors from the attack and he meets those survivors and they really are of no help they just have like terrible scars and that's about it but after that Foltis comes to him in like a disguise and he's like okay I realize that it's a lot to ask to, like, not kill her because no one has been able to do it before. I'm just saying try your very best not to kill her because, like, that would suck. But if you do kill her, I'm not going to immediately behead you. I'm not going to pay you, but I'm definitely going to consider not killing you. Um, but here we sort of learn that Foltest is a fully developed human being. He's not altogether crazy, although he engaged in the incest, so that's up for debate. Um, but he is really acting out of concern for his daughter because he's a father who has lost his child, and he wants her to not be in pain anymore. So that that's kind of a humanizing moment where we learn the Foltis, even though he is an incest, like
0: incest, incest. <laughs> he has
1: committed incest. Um, yeah. he is actually, you know, got a heart somewhere in there.
0: So yeah he he, he liked the he liked his sister a lot a lot like a lot a lot
1: <laughs> they make a lot of jokes about that um in the game
0: oh yeah yeah I forgot about it
1: <laughs> yeah like there, there's a Gwent card that has a quote that's like it's natural that a man love his sister and, and all that but anyway mm-hmm. we find out Folsom really cares about his incest baby and, and that's humanizing yeah, I guess yeah. Um, so the next phase is Geralt going to the old castle, which the king has uh, evacuated because it's, it's basically just, like, the grounds for the Striga now. Striga gets it. It's just, like, once you find a spider in the house, you're like, okay, that's the spiders <laughs> That's the <now>. spider room. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> His name is Edward. He lives in there. <laughs> <laughs> so Don't bother him.
1: <laughs> the Striga, you know, comes out at night and, like gets her fill of humans or whoever's around, and then on a full moon goes into the village and just eats everyone. This is the first time that we learn about potions. Geralt is taking something that makes his pupils dilate to, like, their full size of his eye, and... Uh...
0: what Was the potion cocaine... It might have been the cocaine.
1: <laughs> yeah, so he he's taking some potions. He's getting, like, all geared up. He's like, I can see in the dark. I'm like, I- I'm ready. Um, and then the witcher is approached by one of the men that he was introduced before, one of the counselors of Foltus, And he's, like, the lavishly dressed guy. And he's like, hey, I, I see that you're looking kind of terrifying right now. It must be because you're scared. So I'm going to give you, like, 1,000 orans to just go away. It'd be great if you just went. And Geralt's like, wait a second, why are you paying 1,000 horns for me to just give up and not do anything? He's like, well, uh, yeah, I don't really want Foltus to be on the throne anymore. And Geralt is sort of making these wide declarations of, of why he might not want Foltus to be on the throne. And this is like the first time we hear about Geralt not being involved in politics and being very neutral. But as we know, he's not very neutral he ends up being sucked into a lot G-
0: of always has a he he talks about having a policy of neutrality but he kind of never really sticks to it too that too much but
1: yeah it's, it's like he tries his best to be neutral but in the end his profession and his uh romances and his uh child's prize theory preclude him from being neutral he actually can't be but this is the first time we learned about his code of ethics and he, he feels like he's not involved in politics, which of course we know he is, but that's kind of the the paradox of his character. Um So he's like, I'm not going to take 1000 Orins because I know you're up to something. I don't like it. And I took this job because I wanted, you know, I said I would take it. I want to see it through, even though it doesn't sound super fun. Um. So anyway, the guy approaches him with a Um, sword and he's like, okay, I'm just going to knock you out. And just like, it's pretty easy to knock him out. So he ties up the guy, uh, goes into the uh, sarcophagus area for better, lack lack of a better term, just the tomb. The tomb. Well, uh, no, I mean, he doesn't
0: get into the tomb yet. (laughs) He's, there's like, it's a portion of the the castle. There's like a courtyard and like.
1: Yeah. So he goes and he's like getting ready it's it's almost midnight and he ties up this guy and the guy is telling him look i you know didn't do this because i like have some designs on being the leader or because like i have any like political designs It's because I actually loved the king's sister bride.
0: Wait, he says that? I I don't remember him saying that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the reason is that he loved Ada. Ah.
0: And that's the
1: reason that he put a curse. He didn't mean to, but in the Witcher universe, it's actually really easy to put curses on people. Yeah, I've noticed that. So if you say something, it's like... Sometimes. Oh, well,
0: now that person's it's going to turn into a giant monster. Yeah, so people.
1: you find out that he didn't really mean to do it, but he did. And he's also kind of a bad person. And then he ends up being bait for the Striga. And then he dies pretty horribly. Mm. Um, and then Geralt gets into his first big fight with a monster. And in the book, she just describes terrible... Eight
0: feet tall. Well, uh, I'm sorry four, four cubits, cubits which we we looked up and had to do the math on and it turns out sh- that's about eight feet so yeah.
1: it, very tall broad mm-hmm. like razor big sharp teeth monstery teeth claws yeah like a
0: cat well well hang on so the the claws are described as sharp but not hooked like a cat more flat like a bear okay Probably. yeah
1: so it's a big, very big <laughs> scary knifey looking thing. And there's good imagery a here, we swear. Um, and the witcher s- pulls out his silver sword and he slashes her and he realizes it actually affects her. like so he's like, cool, she can be hurt. Then he lets his guard down a little and like you know hooks her up to like a silver chain and like he thinks it's going well, but she like bursts the chain and it's like a whole
0: thing it's a whole thing <laughs> there's a whole thing there.
1: And so he finally, like with every ounce of his being and all of the potions, he's able to get the upper hand and she, um, you know, collapses and he is able to, through a series of events, get into the sarcophagus next to the dead, uh, sister bride ah, of Fulton. Mummified Yeah. Um. Very it lovely. A, it
0: was a twin twin coffin. Yeah. He twin just, sarcophagus. Sorry. Not a coffin.
1: He takes one another witcher potion and he goes to sleep for a little bit. And then he emerges and he's like, okay, she's collapsed on the floor. She's not a monster looking thing anymore. She looks like a human, like a 14 year old girl. Yeah. Her claws are pretty sharp still. Uh, so he like gets down. He's like examining her teeth, seeing like... You know, she still has sharp fangs and everything. Um, And she bites his neck. Like, t- tears his neck.
0: Well, she she slashes his neck.
1: Okay. In either <laughs> case...
0: Sorry, I don't mean to... Well, actually, there. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, that's fine. So the neck is torn open. It's like...
0: He's bleeding a lot. He's bleeding a lot.
1: <laughs> and the only way that he really is able to get her to stop is by, like, pinning her down and biting her back.
0: Yeah, he, he bit her back.
1: Which is... Kind of just, like, eye for an eye, I feel like. <laughs> it's like, you bit me hard, now I bite you.
0: It's man bites dog. <laughs> yeah,
1: so, so that's where, like, Geralt kind of gets the upper hand, and she's a girl again. She's a little girl. And so he's like, cool, I, like, finally did this, but, like, my neck is... <laughs> I am
0: bleeding a lot. <laughs>
1: so he, like, basically is able to stumble his way up the stairs, and he, like, collapses, and, like you know, is trying to hold things to his
0: You hold the blood in. <laughs> yeah,
1: and uh, he's like, all right, cool, I, I did it, but I'm going to pass out now. And right after that, um, the curse breaks, because the whole curse is that if you're able to stay up and she's out of her sarcophagus after the third cock crows, you're home free. So after that, we have, like, a little bit of an epilogue chapter where we learn that Geralt survived um, because they were like rushed out to the palace right after the third cock crowed. And the Castellan is kind of like, why did you bite her? And, <laughs> and Geralt never answers because he passes out. So that's I forgot, I it. forgot
0: that. I, I always forget that he asks, like, why did you bite her? Because I had the same question. <laughs>
1: so that's never answered for us. So I-, I think this is a perfect way to open... The series of short stories and the introduction to the Witcher world because we learn a lot about who Geralt is.
0: It's a it's a good I don't want to say little but it's a good vignette um, into the the universe and the lore. Also, I want to apologize for well actualing you there a minute ago. That's
1: good. But <laughs> that's good. I think like so this is not going to be a technical podcast. Like yeah, this that's is true. not going <laughs> to be. This is you know we are shooting the shit. We are drinking. So if we get things wrong and we are going to, like, yeah, <laughs> feel free to just say, like, hey, that's not right. I am, like, constantly learning new things about The Witcher, so I am not going to act like I am the expert. But this is just, like, a companion as you're reading the book.
0: I'm I'm also realizing, kind of, yeah, uh, a companion, companion podcast might be a really good way to describe our, our podcast, actually.
1: This is not going to be, you know, like, we are going to get down in the weeds and, like, I, I think there will be plenty of that. Oh yeah, yeah. We are going to be recapping this as we remember it, like, and we're we, are, we are we are reading
0: it. the chapters before we the chapters and the bits before we actually do the podcast. So mm-hmm. it is relatively fresh in what we're reading and talking about. Um, one thing I also did notice is how very very hard it is to summarize uh, a fight scene. Um, because it's very hard to not come off as like, well, he swung his sword real good and real hard and hit it and and then he jumped real far.
1: Yeah. I, I think that...
0: I think he did a fantastic job by the way. Thank like you. Way.
1: Thank you. I, I thought maybe we could go through our notes and talk about things we had questions on, mm. um, like chapter by chapter. Um, so... Your comment was you had never noticed previously that witchers wear their swords on their back.
0: There, there was a comment at the very beginning um, that they, that they, uh, he, uh, the narrator points out. Um, for the narrator, for lack of a better description, the re- the, the reader points it's out. It's a third that, person, yeah, So yeah, the we're, narrator. We're yeah, having yeah, an
1: omniscient right. kind of narrator.
0: Yeah. So the narrator points out that um, that uh, the the man who's not identified as Geralt yet. Uh, is wearing a sword on his back instead of a quiver of arrows. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about the fact that normally when people wear swords, they wear them on their on their waist, on yeah. their hip. Um, but witchers always wear them on their back. Yeah. Um, which I know that, like, there, there's actually some mechanical distinction there because usually I know, like, the longer, like, broad swords um, are too long to be worn on the hip mm-hmm. um, and because they drag on the ground. But they've never identified Geralt and or Andor witchers as using those types of swords. And maybe I'm going a little too much into like medieval warfare nerdery here. Um, but it, it yeah, was, I it was an interesting thing to point out. Um, and I was trying to figure out, like I was kind of trying to check gun it a little bit in that, like I was trying to understand what the narrator was trying to imply by saying that the witchers were, wear their swords on their back, and the only thing I can really come up with is just, like, it's faster access?
1: I think it's because they wear two swords, right? They do so, wear two so swords. So they wear a silver sword and an iron sword. One is for monsters, one is for men. Yeah. And so they're kind of just able to do, like, the cool, like, yeah. <laughs> get it out of the back thing. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think the other thing is, like, from a just this may be just from a writer standpoint it mm-hmm. just kind of like looks and seems cool <laughs> yeah like there may not be a whole lot of function to it and i may be reading a little too far into it but
1: we actually don't learn a lot about what witchers are in that very first chapter
0: no actually there's like no he's description not really... as to what they are
1: yeah so he's just a white haired dude that looks pretty rough and tumble like yeah, he has yeah. a, a voice that is considered unpleasant he has a voice that's considered unpleasant. Yeah, like it's considered she metallic. smells like lilac and gooseberries. He only, <laughs> he only like will recognize women by sense.
0: He does. He does it a lot. I think it's because <laughs> we like, did notice that in this The implication
1: is that The Witcher has such heightened sense. Yeah. Actually, that it's like. Yeah. He has to recognize all of these things because well, he's a killing machine. And, and Well, sh- and
0: scent is the strongest sense tied to memory. Sure. So, like, yeah, that makes so sense. So, that- I
1: also see a comment here where you ask, where actually is Rivia? That,
0: yes, actually. So, Alexa had been, uh, earlier in the day or the other day, had been going over, like, a, a good long explanation with me of the geography of the world? Yeah, so... The Witcher world? Um, it's,
1: it's, like, a very long continent. It's like... So I actually looked up... I'm so glad there are maps because I was (laughs) reading this and I'm like, where the hell are all these places? Um, And so I I looked up a map. So Rivia is a very, very small country. Mm -hmm. It is so... There's Adern, mm-hmm. which we find out more about. And then there's Lyria, mm-hmm. which is to the east. And then there's Rivia mm-hmm. to the west, okay. which is right wow. in the crevice of It's Mah- Rhode Island. Mahakam, <laughs> which Mahakam is like the mountains. Okay. But also I think a lot of dwarfs live there.
0: Okay. Oh, um, yeah. Mojocan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. and
1: then he's in Tamaria, which is across that mountain range. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll get into the geography yeah, at yeah. some point. But it is a country that's shaped more like Sweden or, like, not a country. It's a continent that is shaped more like a Scandinavian country. It's very long. Very
0: long and, yeah, just kind of narrow. One of the things I do really appreciate about this series is that you don't necessarily need to understand all of the geopolitics um, because they don't don't play a huge—they're, like, 30% of the story. They're fun. They're, like, fun little things to keep track of and understand, like, why— This person, why he, why Geralt is wrapped up in like these shenanigans (laughs) by by the the world leaders, Um, but
1: one thing we've talked a lot about is that Geralt's kind of more of a Frodo, Mm -hmm. um, and that he is an extraordinary person, but mostly it's that he is involved in extraordinary things. He
0: he himself, there's nothing. So one of the, yeah one of the things that we really enjoy about the series is that he, Geralt himself is not a there's no divine destiny about him he is a literally a run of the mill Witcher there's nothing he wasn't like head of his class even like he just he was a Witcher who existed and he's a person from non noble upbringing uh, he had a family that there's a backstory there that uh, we haven't really gotten into too much yet but like. There's nothing special about Geralt. Uh, He just gets wrapped up in large, special things.
1: And even being a witcher isn't special. No. So it is special and it isn't. So what I mean by that is that, yes, it is, like, special and significant that they're able to get through the mutations and Mm -hmm. they're able to get to this place where they are, you know, like, mutants. They are killing machines. But the thing is that witchers are taken from, like, you know, uh, law of surprise, which we learn a lot about in a future short story, um, in the same book. Um, but the law of surprise is basically if you're helping someone who doesn't have like anything to repay you with on hand, like you can say, I want the law of surprise, which entitles you to like, the wording is always kind of weird. It's like something that you have already, but you do not know, which is like your wife is pregnant and you get home and there's baby. Uh, So you get a lot of witchers who are taken from like poor families, like people that just give their children who they didn't really want to give up, but they end up having to. Um, So it is like an extraordinary circumstance, but they themselves are not extraordinary um, in that it is something that happens to them, kind of. They are able to make of it what they will.
0: Yeah, one of the other things too is that like they're not extraordinary because there used to be like thousands of them once again they were the magical exterminators of the world kind of thing but as of once the story kind of starts it's been 50-ish years i want to say since it's they been had been able years. it had been yeah many years is usually the quote since they've made more witchers
1: yeah like so there's not a lot lot left yeah
0: and most and they don't have a good life expectancy because they work in a very dangerous line of work
1: they do and they don't so they have like longevity because of the mutation Mm. so Mm -hmm. they don't age a lot i mean like it's never really like specified like how much they age but like it's slow and it's kind of like it, why he and Yennefer end up being so such a good match is that they're both old souls because they are much older than they would look on the surface.
0: They they don't... Yeah, like Geralt doesn't age because of his mutations and Yennefer doesn't age because of her magic. Well, they right. do age, but very slowly, but... Um, She's able
1: to constantly look in her yeah, yeah, 20s. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think what's interesting is that he ends up being... Yes, he's extraordinary based on his circumstances, and he constantly gets into more shenanigans. Like you know, the whole thing about being tied to Siri ends up being a huge thing, but that's not something you could have predicted. It's not something mm-hmm. that like he is not the chosen one. He is not Harry Potter. He is not. Um, Neo. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's, he's not, not the, the one. chosen one. But he is adjacent to all of yeah. these things that are happening, and and I think that's what's really cool about Garrow. He's,
0: he's the Neville Longbottom of. <laughs> he's. I think kind of even there.
1: Neville Longbottom is more I think he, I think he's a little bit more um,
0: predestined than than Geralt. Geralt is just a dude. <laughs>
1: yeah, he, he he is just really a dude. Yep. Um so yeah. we'll we'll talk about some of the other things that we are introduced to for the first time. Um Foltest, King of Temeria. Mm-hmm. We actually get to know quite a bit of Foltest in this chapter. Yeah, we chapter. do actually. Yeah. Um he we learned that he is a, a fan of incest. Mm. He uh had a baby with his sister. And we also learned that he is kind of compassionate under mm-hmm. all of that, um, which is interesting because I feel like uh, Andrzej Sapowski is so good at creating these characters that we really should hate. Yes. But he's <laughs> able to really, like, this is great writing. He's able to flesh them out and make them three-dimensional people, mm-hmm. um, which is why the series is so cool because you get to know these characters like in any other series. I feel like we would hate Yennefer right yeah she's a cold-hearted bitch
0: (laughs) yes she's she's absolutely the you know and Geralt even like is he's a philandering jerk who kind of wanders around and is cantankerous and like he's super edgelordy honestly if you take him at the at the surface um but you end up kind of just loving all of that about him like you like he he sleeps with another like sorceress and you're just kind of like oh Geralt it's it's just, <laughs> it's just you, you. <laughs> and like for whatever reason like it works like and he's still you don't it doesn't like tarnish your view of him
1: yeah um so we are introduced to Faltist king of Tamaria which is again so it's like a western country so in our very thin con- mm-hmm. thin continent we are looking at Tamaria the mountain range, Mahakam, and that is dividing the continent kind of evenly. Um, so anyway, he's a big player in the story to come. Um, we are also introduced to Vizimir, Vizimir, who is... I can never pronounce his name accurately, so don't make fun of me. Uh, he is the king of Rudania, which is to the north of Temeria. Rudania is... I Boltist and Vizimir at this time are kind of at odds. It seems like there's rumors that Vizimir wants to, you know, invade Tamaria at some point. Um, so they're kind of portrayed as rivals, but we don't really learn much about him. Um, we're also introduced to, like, a ton of, like, witcher creatures, like creatures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're introduced to not only Strigas, who we've become well acquainted with in this well, story. So,
0: like, the interesting thing is, like, we get really acquainted with them, but they never... It's never actually explained what they are, but we we do learn what they are, and that's one of the things that that he is fantastic as as a writer is that like you just kind of get dumped into whatever this thing is, but then like by the by the time you get into it, like you you kind of just know what it is. Like it's yeah, it's uh, Strigas are an interesting one because there's not really any like literary analog for them so i think that is something that there's some monsters that andre has obviously invented for this universe mm-hmm. but there's other monsters that he has obviously pulled from other places and added his own lore to so and we'll, we'll see a little bit more of that like in later later readings
1: right and so we're also introduced to Rizals- Rizalkas Rizalkas?
0: Riz- Riz- which I mean, like they, they mentioned them, right? But
1: yeah, they're they're vampires. Okay, um, was that
0: one of the breeds or species of? Vampires? There's a lot of species of vampires.
1: Okay. Some are lower, some are higher, um, and they have like varying levels of like savagery, I guess. Vampireness, and uh, guess. yeah, and then there's kobolds, which you seem to know.
0: Kobolds, yeah, they're lizard—well, kind of lizardish people, well, lizard humanoids. Actually, they smell really bad.
1: Nerd alert. Okay. <laughs> John Mark is a D&D fan, so that yeah, will I'm. Come up. I'm, I'm
0: brrr, brrr. That but is a I pot calling the kettle black I don't, there. I don't know <laughs> what are <you're> talking
1: about? <laughs> um, also, we are introduced to Spriggins, uh, Leshens, or Leshies, as they're always called in the books. Um, but Leshens terrified me in the game because they're a giant tree demons that have mm. like uh the skull of a skull, deer.
0: deer antler thing it scares the hell out kind of looks me. like a when wind- the art character art for a Wendigo It does and, look like yeah, that just wanna,
1: There's also like werewolves in this yeah. universe but we already know what werewolves are so They're
0: scary in the game because they're so powerful and they just that's because I got a glitch with
1: one time. I know you and I got could the glitch not kill it. I could not kill this. And I'm like, it's a level five. How am I not able to kill it? Like,
0: I love that the form posts were basically just, have you tried getting good? Oh. <laughs> or try hitting it really, really hard. I'm
1: like, why are the bosses of this game literally not as hard as it?
0: Then we found out that you had like a weird regeneration bug that like it kept like regenerating and regenerating and regenerating.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: cheat codes are fun for a, a, a reason. Sometimes.
1: Yeah, I, I never use cheat codes. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> um, so we're in in like chapter two. We're also introduced to a difference in opinion regarding sorcerers and magic in general. Mm. So
0: that was that was one of the things that I thought was really interesting. Something that's kind of unique to this universe is that there seems to be not only different sources of magic, but different like weights of magic. Yeah. Um, and different like flavors of it for lack of a better description that like um, and and you'll see this sometimes in fantasy worlds where like you have your like um, I think I think a good actually a good example of it would be kind of Avatar, the last airbender type thing. Not the not the live action movie, but like how they're <laughs> But, like, how there's like you have your, your earth bending, you have your air bending, you have your fire bending. They all have like different places that they come from and different effects that they can impart. Um, so, like, I, I've always felt like it's been implied that Geralt's magic comes from his genetics um
1: it, it is actually we we get into it but he is someone with a lot of mom issues yeah. he is uh the son of a sorceress which is very rare because oh, sorceresses are supposed to be uh infertile like hmm. witchers that's something we'll get into way down the line
0: i actually didn't know that but um, I haven't gotten there in the books yeah he looked.
1: has a lot of mom issues that's why he's always involved with sorceresses
0: that that explains a lot actually
1: yeah um so anyway, we are introduced to a little bit of this, like, uh, the Castellan is saying, I respect you, witchers, because it's, like, an honest trade, and, and you're more honest with us. He's a like, blue-collar
0: worker, you know? He's... Sorcerers and sorceresses,
1: I don't trust them. Um, so we're introduced to, for the first time that there could be, like, some difference in opinion. And also, to what you were saying about different levels of magic, we will really get into that when we get into Yennefer training Siri. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks a lot about the signs. So, mm-hmm. one of the things that um, witchers use are signs. And they're basically the same thing as you see in the video games. They're...
0: Yeah, like <laughs> Alexa has thing. talked about this frequently, that like reading these books, it's been like... You read it and you're like, oh, I think that that's probably a thing that they just made up for the video game. But it's actually something from the book. And I've never come across like a book series that seems like it was more written to be a video game than like anything else. It's a really natural fit. It really fits well. A
1: a lot of the things that they talk about are turned into mechanisms in the video game. (laughs) Um, And it is interesting having come from the video game to the book. And now I'm like looking at everything in a different way. But the two signs that are brought up in this particular short story are Erden, which is always fun to say because it makes the me Urdan. feel like I'm the Swedish chef or something, mm-hmm. and Ard. So we have Urdan, which is like kind of the, the shield, the magic trap sort yep. of thing. Yep. And then we have Ard, which is, uh, you know, like.
0: Uh, it's sort of a psychic ability yes. for it, it. Basically, it's. It's psychic ketamine. Yeah. <laughs> it's a psychic tranquilizer, Dart.
1: Again, like this is not like heavily researched witcher lore. This is off the cuff. Yeah, so yeah. we are we've
0: just read a, a good bit and wanna talk about it. Don't, don't
1: be mad at us, Reddit. Um so anyway, let's move on. Um <laughs> you have here that Foltest is 40 under 40. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, Foltest is 40 under 40. That
1: that is interesting and I do want to note that um, Geralt says that Foltest is under 40 because that's interesting for the timeline. So he is pretty young at this point. Yes,
0: uh, for to be a king, like yes, that's a pretty
1: Let's see other notes. Again, we're We are learning a lot about like the witcher potions we're learning about the signs it's it's a good primer Mm -hmm. there's a reason that the tagline of this book is like you know introduction to the witcher because it is very much like a 101 and it's not like he's sitting there telling you like this is what you need to know about witchers First of all, they got potions. (laughs) They also have signs. And there's also this cool, like, super awesome guy named Geralt. And he's, like, got white hair. And, like, also, like, he does a bunch of badass shit. Like, he doesn't, like, tell you. He definitely shows you through, like, the fights. He shows you through, like, you know, his conversations. I think the dialogue is fantastic. This,
0: This, like, this short story, and I don't mean this as an insult, honestly feels like a video game intro tutorial. Yeah. Like, it really does. <laughs> and like, But, like, a, a really well-written and, like, well-dialogued one mm-hmm. where, like, it feels like part of the game and it feels like part of the story where you're just kind of learning a little bit without it feeling like they're teaching you. You're still learning bits and pieces about the universe kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So one thing I did want to talk about with you is what do we think Geralt's D&D alignment is?
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. So Geralt would say and, and this is where we come into Geralt's like uh ability to so Geralt would say that he is a true neutral um but he is definitely a good character like he is I, at least I would I would categorize him as good usually I I the way I look at good versus evil is that if their intent is to hurt or their intent is to help um he very often falls into intent is to help in terms of being a good character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I he would say he's neutral, but he's definitely good on the good evil alignment. And as far as the chaotic versus lawful alignment, I would actually put him a little bit more neutral in that regard. But mm-hmm. um, because he doesn't strictly follow like a an adherent rule set or he's not very straight laced in terms of like um, XYZ thing yields Q R thing um, yeah, but he, he, says, he definitely falls more, and he's not fully chaotic um, in that in that his he doesn't just go by the seat of his pants entirely um, but he does lean more towards being on the seat of his pants than anything he's, yeah. he's not completely neutral in that but he, he definitely stays a little bit more neutral in terms of his like planning and life structure in general
1: I would say that he he does have a code of ethics, and he says it's like the Witcher code of ethics, but it really is more Geralt's code of ethics. Yeah,
0: he definitely has more of a personal code of ethics that he he either doesn't want to admit that he has or just doesn't realize. I think he realizes he has it, he just doesn't want to admit that he has it.
1: Yeah, so to recap, I think this is just a great primer mm-hmm. to the universe. I think it's it's a good way to get us introduced to some of the big characters. Of course, it's not all of the big characters. Mm-hmm. We don't meet a lot of people here. We don't meet Dandelion, for example. We don't. We don't meet Yennefer. We don't meet Siri. We won't meet Siri until a little later. But it is a good way to show us this main character, who the Witcher is. What are, What are your final thoughts on this?
0: Um, my final thoughts. I. I mean. I think I kind of. I kind of hit the wave points there in, in the last. My last statement. But like, it, just that it's. Yeah, it feels like a a really good intro to the universe. Um, It it also does a really good job of giving you just enough that you're interested in getting more. um, In that it opens a lot of doors and closes enough of them that you feel satisfied in a story. Um, I really like this series in that. I really like when things are serialized um, because I... I, Mm -hmm my my ADD kicks in and I'm like, ooh, hey, other things." But I I feel like I've gotten something done and I've gotten to a, a nice satisfying conclusion. Um and this story does a really good job of that. It it introduces a lot of the lore of like the monsters really well. What Geralt's role with the monsters is um and I think I think I think it's just genuinely a lot of fun. Like um it plays like a like an intro D&D campaign as well, like um, if you're a if you're a you know a, a dungeon master who's running like a game for a bunch of people who've never really played before, you run you run like a very small sort of like very self-contained kind of thing that with a very relatively short storyline, so that people can get through it and kind of get their satisfaction very quickly on because then then it's an interesting thing to keep people going.
1: Yeah. So two things that I thought about while you were talking was. Uh, that time is a character in the Witcher mm-hmm. universe, as it is in many books. But what's interesting about it is that we revisit these characters many times over the years. Mm-hmm. And there there's a lot of time gaps. And, and sometimes it's not clear what's before and what's after. And I know many people have sort of put together a timeline. But I think what's interesting is that... Um, You you see how people grow, and you see how characters evolve across Mm -hmm. many years. I think that's a really cool aspect of this. The other thing I wanted to mention is that in The Last Wish, um, all of these short stories are tied together by um, these little, like... uh, I guess they're just, like, transition chapters Mm. called The Voice of Reason. And it's where, like... Bridge chapters. They're bridge chapters, Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Uh, it's kind of a way of grounding us in the story mm-hmm. and we're able to sort of, this is what is like chronologically in order. So we learn about where Geralt is and we sort of orient ourselves um, around these voice of reason chapters. And a lot of that is centered around one of my favorite characters right now, which is Neneke. Mm-hmm. Love her. She is a priestess of Malete. Meletel?
0: Malate mel- Malete.
1: Yeah, so she is kind of like, even though she would say she's not, she's a mother figure to Geralt. Mm-hmm. And she's also someone who's close with Yennefer. And you learn a lot about Geralt's relationship with Yennefer through her. Also, she just has, like, an amazing plant collection, which <laughs> I personally love. There was this whole chapter, of Voice of Reason chapter, where it's, like, toward the end. And she's describing all of these, like, ins- like extinct plants that are in this cave and I'm just like, I want, I, I want this. <laughs> you want that case. This is the future I want. <laughs> if there's, I, I would love to say like, oh, like I'm I'm a Yennefer. Oh, I'm a Siri. But I'm probably an Ineke, honestly. Mm. I would just be like the plant lady. <laughs> so, um, but she's really cool. I kind of wonder if they'll ever introduce her in the TV show because she does. Well, no, work... they
0: don't have the budget for those plants.
1: <laughs> probably not. <laughs> uh, she does really, I think other characters can play that role that she does but like I just love her She she's like a really uh, good character at um, sort of being a therapist mom mm-hmm. to Geralt <laughs> and, therapist mom and also saying like Carol, you're being an idiot like just apologize to Anna for just like stop being such an idiot um, which I really love about her and I think that Gerald often needs that uh, grounding mm-hmm. Um, So I really like her, and we'll talk about her in the next episode. Um, So we're going to go through The Last Wish chapter by chapter, uh, short story by short story. I don't quite know how we'll handle The Voice of Reason yet. I think we'll probably, like, bundle it with the next chapter.
0: Yeah, we'll probably have to do that.
1: Because they're not enough on their own to do a whole episode Yeah, yeah,
0: we we definitely, like, yeah, no.
1: (laughs) Um, That sums it up for now. We are going to be back next week with A Grain of Truth which is the next short story. We'll also be talking about the voice of reason. That bridge chapter will be introduced in a and sort of talk about the current timeline of Geralt. Um, and with that, I think, thank you for tuning into this whole episode. Yeah, oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know why, why you made it this long, but thank you for being here
1: again. This is our ramblings. This is, I think it's like a recap of a reality show show sort of thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think we're. I know you've been watching a lot of like Bachelor and like uh, Married at First Sight and stuff, and so you kind of been listening to a lot of those kind of podcasts and stuff where they like just recap the episodes. And I think I think it works pretty well for fantasy novels too, actually.
1: I don't know for every fantasy novel. Yeah, yeah. Definitely,
0: definitely. uh, The The Witcher, though.
1: Yeah. So again, thank you for coming to our Midnight Book Club. We'll be back with another drink and the next Witcher chapter next week.
0: And well, since it's midnight, why don't you get yourself some pumpkin cookies?
1: <laughs> See you later.